Well, I believe y'all like to have church here, man. I, uh, my first uh, time being at the conference and uh, pastor, I kept hearing, Brother Ron, you missed it, you missed it, you missed it. And I can see what you're talking about, what Christ exalted music uh, we have heard tonight. And then, of course, with the three great preachers that you heard this morning, three of my favorite, and then I'm looking forward to the one tonight, and I ain't talking about me, okay? Uh, I love Kevin Ham, and I'm looking forward to him. I'm even looking forward to that guy in the morning, that Rick Corum guy. I, uh, we'll see what he's got to, to say, but it's a joy and honor to be here. Would you take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 2? Acts chapter 2, I want to preach on this subject, make church great again. Make church great again. And certainly, we're in that passage of Scripture that tells us how to do it. The greatest church of all time. The blueprint for how we're supposed to do church. Let's see what God has to say to us tonight. Acts chapter 2, I'm reading from the King James Bible. I'm in verse number 42. Would you stand please in honor of the reading of the Word of God? Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And here's the best part. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. I'm preaching on this subject, make church great again. Would you be seated all over the building with your Bibles open in your laps? I'm sure you heard the story of the backwoods preacher that didn't have a lot of education, but what he did have was zeal and a passion and a love for the Lord. And he was preaching a revival way out in the country one night, and he was preaching on Noah and the flood. And, and he got over there in Genesis 5, and he was reading from the Bible where it says that Noah was 500 years old and had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife was, and he turned the page. Now, he didn't know it, but two pages got stuck together. But he kept reading, and he said, and Noah's wife was 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, 30 cubits high, and was made out of gopher wood. Well, he knew he messed up, man. And he tried to fix it, but the more he tried to fix it, the more messed up he became. So finally he said, well, let's just understand something. Noah's wife was a big old girl. She was a little on the ugly side, but God made her and God can do anything. You know what, preachers? He might have messed up in one area, but he got one thing right. God can do anything. I mean, he really can he can heal any hurt. He can mend any marriage. He can calm any crisis. He can save any soul. And he can make church great again. Church is struggling a bit in 2018. Attendance is dropping. The numbers of baptisms are decreasing. Holy Ghost revival is diminishing. At Southern Baptist Gathering in Phoenix, Arizona in 2017, we heard some startling statistics about the decline of the church. And I remember three that we heard that were very devastating. Number one, the average weekly attendance of Sunday worshipers was at a 20-year low. Our overall membership was at a 27-year low. 
And the number of baptisms was at a 70-year low. In fact, it now takes 54 Southern Baptists to win one person to Christ. Brother Glenn, those statistics break my heart. I've been going to church all my life. Shoot, I was singing in the choir nine months before I was ever born. My dad was my pastor for 25 years. I got two preacher brothers. I got three preacher nephews. Church is our life. But you know what? As I think about what it does to my spirit, can you imagine what it does to the heart of God? I mean, he sent his only son to die on the cross for the church and then called you and I to grow the church, work the church, and build the church. But time out for a moment before I depress myself. See, I don't want to get all Joel Osteen on you, but can we have some optimism in the house of God tonight? Because you see, here's the bottom line. The church is struggling indeed. And we need to be concerned. Yes, we do. Those statistics are true. But the church is not out for the count because there is hope and his name is Jesus. I mean, as long as the Lord of the church is allowed to be the head of the church, there's a whole bunch of hope. You see, that's what Paul told the, told the Colossae church when that mystery that had been hidden for ages was revealed. And that is that the people of God would make up the household of faith. You remember what Paul said, Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, that's what John told the Ephesus church. When in, when, when, when in 1 John 4, 4, he said, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Now, ladies and gentlemen, greatness lives in us. Now, I didn't say we were great, but I said he was great, and that is our hope. When I think of greatness, I think of the one that picked up dirt and blew on it, and a human being appeared. When I think of greatness, I think the one that put the sun and the moon and the stars in the right place. I mean, we go all goo-goo and gaga over LeBron James' ability to play basketball, but the creator of the universe dribbled the planets between his legs. Do you understand that? When I think of greatness, I think of the number of stars that are up in the sky. Jeremiah 33, says, there's so many up there, we don't even know the number. They're like the sand of the sea. And if that's not amazing, Psalms 147, 4 says, God gave them all names. Are you kidding me? I don't know how he does it, Brother Glenn, but I'm sure when he wants to point out one of his stars, he doesn't say, there's star number 11 trillion, 153 billion. No, I think he said, there's Bill. That's greatness, my friend. But can I tell you the greatest example of the greatness of God is when God left the splendor of heaven, put on the cloak of human flesh, came to earth to die on the cross for the sins of the world. Ladies and gentlemen, it doesn't get any better than the finished work of Calvary, and that's why there's hope for the church. God loves the church. Jesus died for the church. Lost humanity needs the church. The Tao may fluctuate, but his mercies are new every day. Let's make the church great again because of the name that's above every name. He's great for a few moments. I want to look at three things. There may be 33 things. There may be 303 things, but I want to look at three things that church ought to be. Return to if needed. Get started if they haven't started already. Three things a church must do to be great again. Now, these three things aren't new, okay? Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun, so I don't know how much new stuff I'm going to tell you tonight. In fact, 
All this stuff has been in the church manual for a long, long time. But I pray we'll leave encouraged tonight about making the church great again. Let's talk about it. First of all, a great church has a pastor that preaches the Word of God. You know, that sounds so good, I think I'm going to say that again. A great church has a pastor that preaches the Word of God. Notice the first line of Acts 2 and verse 22. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Bible study with me for a moment. At the end of Acts 2, the state of the church address of the first church of the Lord Jesus Christ is presented. It's long been the model and the blueprint. It's long been the pattern of the way we ought to do church. It's the example of what a church ought to look like. I feel a sermon coming on. You don't mind if I preach it, do you? Now, I hate to interrupt the Bible study, but I'm going to get back to it. But I got to preach, okay? Church has changed. Oh my goodness, that's an understatement. We now live in the designer church age where we go to churches that fit our preference and meet our needs and are streamlined for our comfort and are convenient for our scheduling and in agreement with our dress code. We no longer revolve around the church. The church revolves around us. We seem to target certain areas, Brother Glenn, and we seem to reach out to certain groups, Brother Glenn, and we seem to change our programs to fit certain groups. We treat church like a buffet or dinner on the ground. I'll take some of that and I'll take a little bit of that, but I don't want any of that. Sweet and low has been added as the substitute sweetener of the church of Jesus Christ. But the question is, is church light, church right? You see, I'm convinced of three things that have never changed in the mind of God since the foundation of the world. No matter what year it is, no matter how far that we advance technologically, no matter what man can do, there are three things that have never changed in the mind of God. Are you ready? Number one, Jesus is still the head of the church. It's not your church, it's not my church, it's his church. He bought it, he paid for it, he established it. And one glad, glorious, shouting hallelujah day, he's coming back for it. It's still his church. Number two, Jesus wants to be pleased with his church. See, the problem is we try to please everybody in the church. You can't please everybody. Boy, that's a new shocker. But what we do is, because we all have an opinion, we sit around and in church council or we sit around in a deacon's meeting or we just sit around and we talk about, well, what age group should we target? What's the most important? What age group should we please? And somebody says, let's please the seniors. They're the faithful ones. They're, they're going to pay all the bills. They'll be here when nobody else is here. Let's please them. And somebody says, let's please the students because they're the vibrant activity and excitement of the church. Let's please them. And somebody says, no, let's please the young marrieds because they have children and so we have a built-in future church growth right there let's please them somebody says no let's please the millennials they're they're in the cutting edge they're they're computer savvy they're technologically uh, skilled let's please them I've got an idea let's not please any of those groups let's please Jesus first amen See, here's the bottom line. God hadn't called us to make the senior adults happy. He hadn't called us to make the young adults happy. He hadn't called us to make the children happy. We need to make Jesus happy. Amen. 
And then number three, the third thing that will never change. First of all, he is still the head of the church. We need to please him in his church. And the third thing that will never change is the message of the church of Jesus Christ will never change. The methods may change, but the message is not up for vote. The gospel still is the power of God into salvation. He still uses the foolishness of preaching, Brother Kevin, to save them that believe. Okay, end of sermon. Back to the Bible study. 120 charter members grow into 3,000 plus in one day, largely due to the preaching of the Word of God, which verse 42 said they continue to do long after the great day of Pentecost was over. And by the way, do you see where it's listed? It's listed first, man. That word doctrine there means to teach and to instruct. First and foremost, the people of God were committed to the principles of living by the Word of God. Brother Glenn, they believed that the Word of God could get inside of you and change you from the inside out. I love the name of this conference, Real Bible Conference. And I'm humbled to be one of the preachers because I know real Bible preaching is going on all over this country. But can I tell you, there's also some unreal preaching going on all over this country. And that word unreal there isn't a positive word. So what is so important about the power of preaching? I don't have a lot of time to develop this, but you know what I want us to do? I want us to look at Peter's mighty sermon on this day of Pentecost. And I want to see a couple of things that demonstrate the power of preaching. First of all, Peter preached with authority. Slip up to uh, verse 22 and follow with me for a moment. After some introductory words in verse 14 and reading from the scripture of Joel in verses 17 and following, Verse 22, Peter gets down to some serious preaching. Notice what he says. Men of Israel, hear these words. Now this is the same guy that seven or eight weeks before denied that he ever knew Jesus. Nothing shy about Peter when he stands to preach here. Nothing that is uh, uh, shameful about Peter preaching here. No doubt in Peter's spirit here. He launches into it with great authority because translated, he says, hey, you better listen up. I got something to say. And it's not about me because look at the next word, Jesus. <laughs> Peter's going to preach about Jesus. He's going to begin his sermon with Jesus, going to end his sermon with Jesus. And in between, he's going to preach about Jesus. And notice what he says about Jesus. He says, this is the, the man that was approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him for you. Furthermore, it was decided upon God from the foundation of the world to do this very thing. But here's what happened, Peter goes on to say. You bunch of murderers killed him. That's what he said. And he said, but the neat thing is, because he died, you've got a hope and you've got a chance because God raised him to set up residence in your life. So if you'll repent of your sins and if you'll trust him as Savior, you can make him your personal Savior and miss hell and go live in heaven with him one day. Peter preached with authority. I'm somewhat confused, Brother Glenn, because if the church in Acts chapter 2 is 
supposed to be the benchmark and it's supposed to be the example of how we're to have church in Acts 2 lays the foundation of everything we are today, then why do I constantly hear, Ron, you cannot preach hellfire and brimstone today because it doesn't connect with the millennials. Ron, you can't preach long and lively today because it's the ADD crowd. Ron, you can't preach with passion today because this is a group, different group of people. You know what? Some folks would rather leave church feeling good than knowing how to walk right. Do you know that? Some folks would rather leave feeling comfortable than being committed, happy than being holy. Can I tell you, this wasn't a feel-good sermon, man. Do you understand Peter preached with authority? And you know why it wasn't a feel-good sermon? Because the point of the gospel is not how you feel. It's the truth about what God says, man. Preacher, we all have different styles. But it is never how you say what you say. It's what you say that is the very most important. And Peter preached with authority. Can I tell you, you don't have to preach with an edge or an attitude. You don't have to spit and run around and sling sweat and act like you're mad or angry. But I know this, when Ezekiel preached to those dry bones, those dead bones... He did not preach a sermon series on how to be a stress-free skeleton. Do you understand that? He didn't preach on eight ways to put meat on your bones so you can be healthy. No, he preached the living word of God because they were dead, man. In Matthew chapter 23, when Jesus gave out those seven woes and called those scribes and Pharisees hypocrites, snakes, brood of vipers, whitewashed tombs, Blind guides. Jesus was not telling them it's more important being comfortable about who you are than being convicted about who you need to be. No, he was giving them the word of God because that's what they need to hear. So preacher, open up the book and tell them what God says. Preach with authority. And then second of all, preach toward a verdict. Slip down to verse 37. Son, 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 son. Brother Kevin, this has never happened to me. But I hope before I put up my preaching shoes and hang them up that this happens to me. Peter's preaching and he's still preaching and somebody yells out in the crowd, stop, tell me what I got to do, man. You know what? I want that to happen one time, Brother Kevin. And hopefully I'm not stupid. I know you're not supposed to say that word in church. Hopefully I'm not stupid enough to say, wait a minute, I still got something to say. No, you ain't got nothing to say, Ron, because he wants to find the one that can change his life. I love that word pricked. They were pricked in the heart. The word pricked there only appears two times in the entire word of God. And here the word pricked means to agitate violently. It's a picture of a volcano erupting. And I'm not kidding. It's a picture of somebody vomiting. Oh, yeah. You know, when something that doesn't agree with us has to come out, oh, that'll preach right there, man. When we're minding our own business and God gets all up in our business because he wants us to do his business, man. And I'm telling you, the preach toward a verdict it's when we say it's time to do what the Holy Spirit has told you to do. 
I'm sure there was somebody in the crowd that pointed out, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, that preacher up there, he cussed me out about eight weeks ago. But you know what? All Peter cared about is the same one who extended him the love and grace and mercy and forgiveness was about to forgive a whole bunch of folks. Church, I don't care what year it is. I don't care what letter or number they give to this generation. This generation needs to hear the truth. When this book tells you that we're fearfully and wonderfully made, but the school textbook tells you that you crawl out of a pond and lose your tail, guess what they need to hear? When this book says that God created a male and a female, but their book says be whatever you want to be, guess what they need to hear? In a world filled with deception, there is no substitute for truth, and this is the truth. The atheist may deny it, the agnostic may hate it, the court may throw it out, the school may not accept it, the world may reject it, but thy word is truth. Tell them what they need to hear so the truth can set them free. A great church has a pastor who preaches the word of God, but a great church has a people who praise the name of God. Verse 43 and 47 kind of go together, and I'm not knocking Luke here like he didn't know what he was doing because we have it in printed form, so the Holy Spirit just put his seal of approval. But 43 and 47 kind of go together. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles, praising God and having favor with all the people. That word fear is a word that speaks of a reverential awe. The people were in awe that something was going on, man. The miraculous power of God was showing up at church and these people couldn't wait to get back to church. Didn't have to beg these folks to come to church. They didn't have the attitude, oh, I got to go to church today. No, their attitude was, I get to go to church today, man. And what fell into the streets on Monday from the day before on Sunday was the passion and the power of what happened the day before at church. Brother Glenn already prayed it. This is my prayer in every revival I go to, Brother Kevin. My prayer is, God, would you do something this week that cannot be explained in human terms? When somebody misses a revival and, and they say, man, I hear something happen last night. I missed it. What happened? And their neighbor says, oh, son. Oh, Listen. Wow, it, it, was, it was incredible. It, it was unbelievable. And then they run out of words because words don't do justice when God shows up, man. And I'm telling you, these people were just doing what God was doing and they experiencing and they shared it with their neighbors. I mean, that may explain why Luke is at a loss for words because the only two words he could come up with in verse 47 is praising God. I mean, the word praise there, praising there means to praise. I mean, they were so saturated by the power and presence of God, all Luke could say was they were praising God. But wait a minute, wait a minute. Luke did give one more intriguing thought here. He said they were having favor as well. Now, why is that so intriguing? Well, this is in the midst of the second of three Jewish festivals called, called the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost. And these people came from thousands of miles around from three continents. Verses 9 through 11 says all the regions that these people came from. 
And there that day when Peter preached, there were many backgrounds and belief systems and, 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 and cultures and there were many ideologies and ways of life. Well, some of these visitors got saved, man, and became a part of the church and joined the church and plugged in the church and grew in the church. And I don't know how many had to go back home, but the universal church certainly began. All I know is, long after the festival, Brother Glenn, they were still getting along. Long after the glory fell, they were still united. They were still having favor. They didn't care whether they sang hymns or choruses, as long as they sang about Jesus. They didn't care who preached, as long as he preached about Jesus. I got one more sermon coming on. Got to get it out, okay? I'm afraid we live in the my syndrome in the church. My church. My class. My room. My role. My parking space. My seat. My, 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 my. Sounds like those seagulls in Finding Nemo. Mine, 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 mine. Brother Travis, the choir, that's mine. The music, that's mine. That song, that's mine. As you know, currently we're in a war in the Southern Baptist Convention. It's called the Worship War. It's been going on a long time. I'm talking about the war, whether we're going to sing words on a screen or sing them out of a book whether we're going to sing hymns or choruses. Do you know how long it, it, it is at least that it's been going on? It's been going on at least 35 years. How do I know that? I was a freshman at Dallas Baptist University in 1983. I quickly became involved in the Baptist Student Union Group and fell in love with the director, Bobby Frazier, who's in heaven. He quickly became my mentor. And every day after class, before I went home, I had to swing by Bobby's and glean from Bobby, let iron sharpen iron and Every day I just had to talk to Bobby. And so one day I went into his office and his face was buried in his hands and he was crying and I quickly dismissed myself and said, man, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to embarrass you. He goes, no, come on in, we need to talk. And after some introductory words, here's what he said. Last night at church we voted to box up the hymnals and put them in the attic and we're going to sing choruses. And Ron, it's not so much that I, I, I'm a chorus guy or that I'm anti-hymn or I love hymns and not choruses, but it just seemed odd. In fact, there wasn't a good feeling about that. And then Bobby said these words, Ron, I'm just afraid if we don't handle this thing right, it's a new phenomenon in the Southern Baptist Convention, and if we don't handle this thing right, the devil's going to have a field day. Son, what a prophetic word. Church is a split over this. Do you understand that? People have quit church. Do you understand that? Churches have changed entire programs. Do you understand that? And we got a whole bunch of stories. Let me just give you one. His name is Earl. And Earl was a, a member of the church I used to pastor. And later when I became an evangelist, I was in his city. And, and, and Earl came to hear me preach. And after the revival service, Earl wanted to take me out to get a cup of coffee. And we, we sat down. I knew Earl didn't want coffee, but Earl wanted to talk. And, and Earl just began to weep. And he said, Ron, I've quit the church. And I said, Earl, you're kidding me. You're a deacon. You're a Sunday school teacher. Well, you, you're, you're one of the greatest Christians I know. I've had it. I've had it. So I thought he was going to tell me about some moral failure or something. Here's what he said. He said, the reason I'm quitting is 
We're going to put words on the screen and we're no longer going to sing out of a hymnal. And I said, Earl, do you understand what you're talking about? Yes, I do. So you're going to start singing choruses now. No, no, we're actually going to take the words out of the hymnal and put them on the screen. Earl, do you understand, I said, that the book you hold in your hand when you sing is not the infallible in our word of God, it's a songbook. And he said, I don't care. And here's what he said. It's not what I prefer to do. And that's the issue. Not what you want, God. It's what I want. You know, I prefer all 19 cash registers to be open at Walmart instead of the three that are, wouldn't you? I prefer that everybody that has a driver's license know how to drive a car, but that isn't true. I prefer that the Democrats and Republicans stop fighting one another and start fighting together for the cause of America or, or let's get them a bucket of shovel and put them in their sandbox so that they can play. That's what I prefer. But the last time I check, it's not what I prefer. Brother Ron, they don't sing my favorite song anymore. You know, I've been going to church all my life. I've never sung a song about any of you. Because we don't gather and worship around your throne. So since he's Lord and we've worshiped him, why don't we gather on Sunday and instead of saying, just top me off, Lord, just a few warm fuzzies, God, just make me feel good. What we need to do is come broken, saying, God, would you empty me of me and fill me with you? The church main focus here was praising the name of Jesus, and that's what a great church will do. There's one more, and I'll be here for just a second. A great church has a pastor who preaches the Word of God and people that praise the name of God, but a great church has a program that pursues the things of God. I'm convinced the most important word in these last six verses might be that word continued in verse 22, 42. That's repeated again with the word continually in verse 46. They continued to study God's Word. They continued to worship. They continued to pray. They continued to get along with one another. They continued to see people saved and baptized and added to the church. They continued to stay united. They continued to pursue the things of God. In fact, those two words continued steadfastly. It's the same Greek word. That's right. He used the same Greek word twice. You know what the words mean? They mean to give earnest attention which means they gave earnest attention to the earnest attention. They believed that church mattered because Jesus matters. In January of 2017, my godly dad went home to heaven. What a glorious time that must have been. Sixty years, Brother Kevin, a preacher of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a funeral it was. Thousands of people came, including my neighbor, Charlie and Pat Smith. Charlie and Pat Smith don't know who Jesus is, wouldn't know him if he tapped him on the shoulder for 20 years. We've lived side by side, and we've had many a campfire night go well into the morning, get them all the way up to Calvary, Brother Glenn, but they won't say yes. On the day of the funeral, Charlie called me and said, can we come to the funeral? And I said, of course you can. And after the service, because of all the throngs of people, I didn't get a chance to thank Charlie and Pat for coming. And so after we left the graveyard, my, I, said, I told my wife, I said, get Charlie and Pat on the phone so I can thank them for coming. My wife's cell phone was held from her ear and I could hear everything she said. Pat 
And she said, oh, listen, we have never spent a greater hour in all our lives than what we just spent at your father-in-law's funeral. We thought church was boring and funerals were depressing. I'm telling you, we've never been so excited in all of our lives. Ron needs to come and talk to us. And four nights later, four hours, four hours, I presented the gospel. And I'd love to tell you they got saved. They did not, but they're going to. Do you understand? Ladies and gentlemen, we got to make church great again because somebody out there needs the Lord Jesus Christ. May God bless the preaching of his word. Amen.